The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. to know the score i'm your host don delorente and i'm joined by my co-host Dwayne. what's going on Dwayne? not much man lots going on in the last uh since our last show so yeah man Jawan howard was throwing hands in the, in the right? layup line <laughs> yeah the yeah, handshake line conference champions tickets have been punched uh, Coach K's sport. Uh, yeah, oh, no, we what, what, get, that's the first topic. Don't, <laughs> we? don't 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 get too far into it. Let us get the particulars out of the way. This is know the score. You can find us on the web at cspn.us. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitch Radio. I have to do is do a search for know the score dash the CSPN. And this episode will show up in your podcast queue whenever there are new ones available. So, yeah, we're going to start right there. Last Saturday night, Durham, North Carolina, Cameron Indoor Stadium. Basically, the eyes of the whole sports world was on this particular event as it was a coordination. As they were going to send Coach K off into the sunset. Last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium uh, based off of what happened a month ago. Nobody was really looking at North Carolina as a threat to even endanger the party and the celebration. And then a funny thing happened. The Tar Heels actually came to play this time. Hubert Davis outcoached Coach K, particularly in about a last six, seven-minute stretch in the second half. North Carolina took a one-point lead, stretched it out to over 15, ended up winning about 13, and they spoiled. Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, 94 to 81. Um, over 90 former players attended the game for Coach K. All types of celebrities and uh, who's who in entertainment and sports were there sprinkled in amongst the crowd to see this. Like I said, basically the coronation of sending Coach K off for his final home game at Cameron. And uh, the Tar Carolina was like you thought fans at the last lap year. Yes, they did, and I kind of I, I I enjoy it from somebody who's lived in North Carolina, lived the rivalry, but is still on the outside looking in. That was fun to watch, um, and nothing is more hilarious than seeing. Duke fans, because Duke fans are, let's just take it, so there's, there's some cocky assholes. Is it warranted? Yeah, that's debatable, but there's some cocky assholes, and there's nothing greater than seeing a cocky asshole cry. And so, I took a little bit of pleasure to see that happen, and um, took a lot of pleasure seeing that happen. I've never Never thought I would see Cameron Indoor so quiet, but you could hear a pin drop in that arena, in that gym, after that game. And it's 
I think you have all the variables, like you said, it was a, supposed to be the coronation, it's supposed to be the last game, and then against the arch rival eight miles away, 15 minutes away, and North Carolina goes down 15-5-1 with a huge victory. Um, yeah, the stretch where that stretch uh, in the second half was the major key. Um, I I just like the fact that Carolina's gelling at the right time. So, and it's really all about getting hot at the right time, especially in this month of March. Uh, if you don't get hot, you're gonna be headed to uh, the NIT, CBI, CIT, whatever secondary tournament is. But um, you get hot at this time, you improve your resume, get a few wins in the ACC tournament, and and you could be. Of course, you get that at large bid. So, yeah, uh, I saw them uh, number one seed in the mid, or number eight seed, excuse me, in the Midwest was where Joe Lenardi had them seated. So, if they were to win that um, that first round game, they'd have to match up with the number one seed in the Midwest in the second round. So, there may be, uh, you know, some some cause for concern there. Uh, biggest thing that. Um, has happened in the last few games, especially since the loss against Pitt. If they've taken Caleb Love off of the ball uh, a lot more, given the point guard responsibilities to R.J. Davis, and um, especially in the Duke game, he's made a lot of um, good plays from the point guard position, moving the ball, um, taking advantage of switches on pick and rolls, and uh, just you know facilitating a lot better than Caleb Love who sometimes just gets stuck on Caleb Love, mm-hmm. especially if he's not uh, shooting the ball very well or impacting the game uh, offensively. So uh, that was kind of the key to the first game. Um, Caleb Love was just out there messing it up, and Hubert didn't have anybody that he thought he could put in to kind of stabilize it, so he just had to kind of run with it. And this time he gave R.J. Davis the ball, mm-hmm. and he made much more solid plays and much more solid decisions. Uh, in the win um, you know we can't have this discussion and talk about I mean no matter how great it is some people are calling this the greatest win in the history of the rivalry for Carolina um, just due to the circumstances of them being unranked Duke being in the top five Coach K's last game at home and, and all of the surrounding circumstances but um, we'll just give a little bit of time here for you to share some thoughts on just Coach K and uh, his place in college basketball? I mean, there's... What's there to say that hasn't been said? I mean, five national titles over... over, I want to say 1,500 wins. I could be off on that. Um, But, I mean, when he arrived at Duke, Duke was not really all that great of a program and he was definitely definitely took the um, Blue Devils to greater and stratospheric heights. I mean, Duke vaulted to the number four for um, spot in all-time wins behind uh, North Carolina 
Kansas and Kentucky, 3-2-1. and one. Uh, uh, Bob Knight Disciple, probably the greatest Bob Knight Disciple, um, probably even has surpassed Bob Knight in some aspects as well. Um, started in India, went to Army for five years, which is on Bonner, and then uh, Duke came home in 1980, and almost 1,200 wins later, uh, he 1,200 wins, 1,196 of his five titles, 12 final for 15 ACC tournament titles, 13 ACC uh, season titles, uh, three-time Naismith College Coach of the Year, five-time ACC Coach of the Year, uh, maybe in five or six, three-time gold medalist. So, Coach K, I mean, he had plenty of chances to go to the NBA, but he had a great thing going at Duke. He stayed in his lane. I mean, just by – and he could have made it in the NBA. I mean, just by his work with the uh, men's national team – uh, with the three gold medals, he is a player's coach through and through, um, and and it was just uh, you know it's truly the end of an era for for us, you know, because you know first it was the end of an era when Dean Smith um, retired, and then and then. Uh, the end of the era when Roy Williams retired, and I know we both have ties in that, being that Roy was in Kansas and he went to Carolina and won those two titles. Um, and now this part of the rivalry, the Carolina-Duke rivalry, probably the biggest chapter of it, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, um, his career is ending, but the legacy is definitely going to be Unmatched, especially in Durham. So, uh, if there's not a statue of him already, it definitely will be. Um, I basically have memories of Coach K in the three stages of his career. It's kind of what I call it: the first stage, uh, like you said, where he was trying to break through. Uh, they really didn't really get a signature win in his. Tenure until like 1984, 1985. Uh, 1986 was the first time they ever went to the Final Four, and they lost to the eventual national champions, uh, the Louisville Cardinals, in the semifinals. Uh, then he went again in 89, uh, where they lost to Seton Hall, who eventually won a national championship. Then they uh-huh. went again in 90, and of course, um, in 91 as well. In 92, everybody knows what happens, but. Uh, yeah, Coach K had been to, I think, three Final Fours before he actually, or four Final Fours before he won his first national championship. Then he became a legend by winning it back-to-back with the help of Christian Leitner and Grant Hill. First uh, team and coach since John Wooden in the UCLA Bruins in the 70s to win back-to-back national championships college basketball. So that kind of was the first era of Coach K. Was that mm-hmm. era? Then you have... Um, from the time where Dean Smith retired in 97 up until around 2007 to the time to the time the Roy Williams game where he was just the absolute top of the heat in the ACC where he kind of taken over as the you know the villain and the number one coach from Dean Smith 
and Duke was, you know, in the midst of winning national championships and an epic run of ACC tournaments. And then there's this third chapter here where, and you know, the last 15 years or so, where Roy Williams entered the picture, kind of flipped the script on Coach K and Duke, made them change their whole recruiting practices, made them adopt the one-and-done model that uh, really hadn't been a part of Coach K's legacy uh, up until then. And then uh, he went and uh, started, you know, going that route here in the last, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years of his coaching uh, career. And uh, this is, you know, the Coach K that we have now. Um, Duke, Coach K, um, definitely their dynasty has benefited from cable television. Uh, They're the first college basketball, first dynasty of probably the cable TV, TV era. Um, because, I mean, you know, everybody basically got to see the rise of Duke basketball through ESPN and its increasing coverage of um, college basketball. So I think that's a lot that has to do with it where the Indianas and Kentuckys and Carolinas and Kansases, you know, all of their, you know, um, blue bloodness was established, you know, decades before cable TV was even thought about. Uh, Sort of like uh, how... Gonzaga is right now, you know, like Gonzaga is kind of in Villanova. They're from kind of, nine. They've kind of been like um, same thing where they've become kind of blue bloodish here in the last fifteen years or so, just due to more exposure on uh, television. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, Coach K definitely, um, you know, will go down as a legend. Always a fierce competitor. Always had his teams. Uh, ready to compete for the most part. Um, always, um, you know, knew that you were going to have to go up against him and the refs because his intimidation was going to, um, you know, get his share of calls. But I guess that's kind of what makes it fun when you beat him. And, you know, none of that stuff could, could even get him a win. So he's definitely going to be missed uh, next year. The rivalry is definitely going to have a whole different tone to it. Um First time John, in 43 John. years, there will be no Dean Smith or Coach K or Roy Williams uh, on the sideline. So that or is, Bill Guthridge. Yeah, so that is going to definitely seem weird and look weird. But um, it's, a, it's a Shire versus Davis era now. Yeah, but I think, um, I think with what Hubert Davis pulled off on Saturday night, uh, that gas will be at least enough to get us through the next couple of years until this seems more normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Shire will have something to shoot for next year, try to avenge this avenge. loss. But uh, until then, it's a good day to be a Tar Heel, man. Um, <laughs> this is the tournament uh, week as far as ESPN goes. Um, so um, this is the time for you guys who like to play uh, NCAA uh, draft pool uh, tournament pools. You guys need to bracket free is the way to be as many games as possible, so you can watch and see some of these mid-major teams who's got these senior guards and really good shooters, and try to predict uh, who's going to go far. Um, I don't know who they're going to play, but I saw Longwood play Winthrop yeah. last night, and uh, Long- yeah, Longwood Long- was like, they Longwood's could be dangerous. Yeah, Longwood's they could be a dangerous. <laughs> like they. They survived A&T in the semifinal, or it might be the quarterfinal, quarterfinal, semifinal. But they survived. They survived A&T. I think it went to overtime, and then they were down up. They were down big against South Carolina Upstate, 
um, USC Upstate. And then they came back and won that game. So a lot of people have Winthrop penciled in to represent the Big South. But Longwood took them behind the woodshed. And they are dangerous. That's a dangerous team. That's an experienced team. They have built that program for the last few years to get to this point. So there's a lot of experience on that Longwood Lancer team. This is their first appearance. And I think they may have a chance to be a very, they could create some chaos if they get the right matchup. Right, right. So that brings me to give me your quick predictions. I think everybody thinks that Duke is going to, you know, prevail in the ACC tournament, so we won't even kind of entertain that. I think there's more um, intrigue in the SEC, Big 12, and the Pac-12. So just give me some thoughts on who you think are going to be the ones holding up these trophies on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, SEC is wide open. You got Auburn, Kentucky, you got Tennessee and Arkansas. All four teams. Don't, don't sleep on Alabama. I'm not gonna. Alabama's a fringe for me. They're they they've choked in some games uh, that they are supposed to have won, which is why I think they could be. They're more. They're more ripe for an upset out of those five mm-hmm. than anybody else. Because um, there was one game where they played where they should have won. I forgot who they played late this season. And they and they actually lost it by double digits, and I was very disappointed to see. Mm-hmm. So I had Alabama long up there, but after that performance, I'm kind of where I'm kind of wary on Alabama. But Nate Oates is a great coach. So the things he did at Buffalo to, prior to his arrival at Alabama, I I do like where they're going. But this year's team, a little bit, they they could be a little iffy. Um, out of that SEC. Um, I would have, if you asked me this three weeks ago, I would said Auburn all day. Yeah, but they've been struggling down the stretch. They, the weeks. they have been sputtering. I would have said Kentucky after they beat Kansas' ass at Allen Fieldhouse, which I'm still not over, by the way. Um, but they've 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 been up and down. I think Tennessee's the dangerous team here, and Arkansas is a dark horse. Um, I I would probably if I had to go down between the two of them, I would pick the Vols to win this one. Uh, just because they've been out of the four teams that that have been up there, they've been the hottest of the four. So I would say Tennessee and the SEC. Uh, the Big Twelve just as wide open as the SEC. You got the co-champions Baylor and Kansas. Oh yeah, by the way, since we haven't mentioned Kansas yet, uh. I'm going to go ahead and start right now. Um, 16th title in Bill Self era in 19 years, uh, which matches the number of home losses at Allen Fieldhouse as well with 16. Um, back where I put a post on Instagram in my story, they're right back where they belong, right at the perch of the Big 12. Had to share it with Baylor, uh, probably due to the um, due to those losses to Baylor and TCU. Uh, Kansas sputtering a little bit on the stretch. They seem to have problems with TCU. Um, I mean, the Horned Frogs beat them in Fort Worth and then and then uh, they almost beat them in Lawrence, which scared the crap out of me, honestly. 
and then um, and then Tan Baby survived Senior Day against Texas uh, with the win there. So um, and then Baylor beat Iowa State to win the Big Twelve. Um, we could see these two in the Big Twelve title game. Um, for a th- for a third installment of this of this uh, matchup, uh, which would be very interesting to watch. Uh, Texas is dangerous. Texas Tech, and you got to really give uh, Mark Adams National Coach of the Year consideration because when Chris Beard left for Texas, you want to talk about some jilted fans. <laughs> Red Raider Nation was pissed. Not only did Chris Beer leave Texas Tech, there's one thing to leave, but you leave for their arch rival in the same conference in the same state. So Mark Adams was the successor. He was Chris Beer's top guy, but he decided to stay at Texas Tech. Uh, just to continue to install that that uh, hardcore, that hard nosed defense that. Uh, that got Texas Tech to the Final Four a few years ago. Uh, Texas Tech has been a dangerous team. They've been in that top 10, top 15 range all year long. Very dangerous team there. Uh, Texas, I think they're still a little shell shots from that uh, loss to uh, KU. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, bounce back. If Baylor and Kansas don't make it, I would love to see these two go at it one more time. Texas Tech has won both matchups. So we'll see if they can, uh, if the assistant can outcoach the um, head coach, the former head coach in this case, um, one more time, or if uh, Chris Beard can finally get one over on the Red Raiders. So uh, out of the, I'm going to go with my squad, of course. I mean, I'm going to pick Kansas. To get the tournament, they have a number one seed potentially at stake. I think the winner of this tournament between Baylor and Kansas gets the number one seed. Um, Texas to Texas Tech, they'll probably get like maybe a two or three. What about Pac-12? Pac-12, I'm going with Arizona. Um, I think one thing we... One thing we don't give a lot of credit to is uh, Mark Lloyd and what he has done. I think a lot of people thought it would take some time for Mark Lloyd to install uh, what he has um, obtained from his many years at Gonzaga behind Mark Few. We thought it might take a little bit of time, but give the players credit for buying into what Mark Lloyd was selling. And... And the uh, the biggest threat to Arizona are the UCLA Bruins. Uh, in Final Four last year, uh, Mick Cronin already got to the Final Four. You know, UCLA, they're about uh, titles. And, you know, they were pretty damn close to it. Didn't they lose in that title game um, last year? Uh, I think they did, but... Uh, Cronin is Cronin and Lloyd. Those are two of the top guys in their game, in the game right now. And and um, but I I think Arizona wins the Pac-12 uh, out of this uh, bunch. Honestly, I I hope I hope they get a chance to play Colorado. 
get that avenge that loss though from the boss as well. Well, there we go. College basketball getting ready to enter the madness. Uh, it will be in full swing uh, starting March fifteenth. Starting next week, and uh, yeah, we're gonna yeah. take us on that, you know, three week ride of upsets, buzzer beaters, brackets, heartbreak, and all of those things of that nature. So bracket free is the way to be. <laughs> I've been bracket free since 2012, and it has been the the stress is so much less stress. Right, right. I incur. I recommend it all. And if you put money on it, good luck with that. We're going to shift over. Speaking of putting money on it, we're going to shift over to the NFL. Because <laughs> the Packers have put together a four-year, $200 million deal to keep Aaron Rodgers in the fold, making Aaron Rodgers uh, the highest-paid quarterback in the league, $50 million per season. Uh, Devontae 100. Adams is getting the franchise tag. And uh, they're going to start cutting and releasing as many players as they can to be salary cap friendly uh, starting next week. But at least Aaron Rodgers is back in the fold with the Packers. <laughs> you all about to say it, right? What's up? I buy Jordan Love. Yeah. If I'm Jordan Love, I want out at this point. Uh, he's waited this long. He's had to play the Aaron Rodgers um, waiting game, you know. I mean, who's to say Aaron Rodgers will even last through the contract? Um, there's two things from this. Um, yeah, Jordan Love needs to find a new team. Hey, Carolina's open. We need a new quarterback. I'm sure it'll be better than Sam Darnold. Um Washington. I mean, would you be interested in him being in Washington? I'm going to talk about Washington in just a second, sir. All right. So we'll get to that in a second. So, um, I mean, there's definitely opportunity for definitely opportunity for Jordan Love. Uh, quarterback needy teams. Look, I, I would much rather have Jordan Love than Kirk Cousins. Um, we've seen what Kirk Cousins can do, and if Carolina ever decided to make the move, I don't know how I feel about that. Probably not good at all. Uh, but then again, maybe I would be for because that means that would be a step closer to getting rid of Matt Rule. So, um, but Jordan Love, he's got to find a new team. Um, Aaron Rodgers needs to get the Packers the Super Bowl. That's the other thing I wanted to say. Uh, at this point, with this money that you're getting, you know, winning the regular season, getting first-round buys, that's cute and all, but you can't be losing your first home game in the in the divisional round. You can't continue to fall short in the NFC Championship game. It's been 12 years since your last Super Bowl season. Uh, 11 seasons, 12, however you, want to, however you want to figure it. I'd say 11. So he needs another Super Bowl to kind of like, you know, I won't say he needs it, but it would be good to have another Super Bowl victory to solidify the legacy. 
because he's already got four MVPs. His legacy is already sealed, but to really like and put it in like complete stone, a Super Bowl victory is kind of necessary with this money that he's getting. After that domino fell, then the next scenario broke, and that was Seattle trading Russell Wilson to Denver for Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and three future first-round picks, including this year's first-round pick. Maybe another player or two in like a fourth-round pick or something like that, too. It's a lot. Um, So now... Russell Wilson has uh, moved from the AFC, from the NFC West to the AFC West, making that division the murderer's row of quarterbacking with Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Justin Herbert. So now, um, I think we could all agree last year Denver had the worst situation as far as quarterback in that division. Uh, how far up the ladder does Russell Wilson move Denver in the AFC West? I mean, maybe to second or third in the division because it's still Kansas City's division. Everybody's just in it. Uh, Justin Herbert's coming up fast, which means the Chargers are still dangerous. Then you have Derek Carr, who's building a solid relationship with Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas. Now... I'm just concerned. I'm really more concerned with the, because like you said, the domino effect. Because the Broncos hired the guy that Aaron Rodgers worked with the most and Nathaniel Hackett. They got him specifically to get Aaron Rodgers. But when Aaron Rodgers had to stay in Green Bay, Russell Wilson was like, oh, this will be plan B. And so it improved Denver's quarterback situation. I mean, he does have some solid weapons there. He has Sutton, Jerry Judy. Um, he has, he has, um, well, since no offense is gone. Um, Trying to think, they did have another tight end there. I think it was, I think Jake Butt is still on the team. So there's still offensive weapons on this Broncos team. And, and, uh, you know, the, is going to be really different with, um, with, um, oh yeah, Deshaun Hamilton as well. So there, there are still uh, some good talent on this, uh, on this um, Broncos team on the offensive side. Defense is I'm going to be more concerned about. I mean, the secondary is still solid. Um, yeah, the secondary is still solid. You still have um, Bradley Chubb leading that linebacker core. And then, of course, you lose a big part of that line with Shelby Harris going to the Seahawks. But, but, um, is this going to be a? I guess the thing is, um, with the Raiders, with the Raiders, 
uh, playing well. And then with the Chargers, who probably should have been in the playoffs had they not called that timeout against the Raiders in that Sunday night game. That was just stupid. Um, like I said, Justin Herbert, his stock is skyrocketing. And Patrick Mahomes is still uh, the entrenched, uh, the establishment in that division. So Denver's got some work to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But it will be a very entertaining side, offensive side of things, too. And then this is where we'll talk about Washington. Um, Ron Rivera made it, uh, you know, perfectly clear that, hey, this offseason they were going to be in the mix for any top-tier uh, quarterback who may come available, uh, meaning a.k.a. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. He said that the status quo was unacceptable and that they were going to uh, make big changes and take big swings at the quarterback position. This is where Ron Rivera messed up. You don't promise anything about the quarterback position in the offseason. Because now what's going to happen is, depending on it doesn't look like anything is going to happen as far as a trade or anything, but now it looks like Derek Carr is pretty much going to stay with the Raiders. I know there's a little bit of you know indecision there with uh, McDaniels coming in, but it looks like they're going to at least do a season together. Uh, for all intents and purposes, the Jimmy G talk to leave San Francisco doesn't seem as strong as it did at the end of the season. So now it looks like Jimmy G may be coming back to San Francisco. So that basically leaves you with like the Marcus Mariotas, the Mitchell Trubisky's, the Jameis Winston's, the, you know. Carson Wentz. Yeah, Carson Wentz possibly. Um, guys of the world. That that definite second tier. So, no, you know, not great. Good, solid quarterbacks, right? But right. none of those are what he said he was going to do. Right? And that right. is where I have a problem from the very beginning with this whole thing about Washington and this being the, like, you know, line in the same year for quarterbacks. There's so many other players that they need to acquire to make themselves a championship-level team that it's not worth all the capital that they would have had to spend either through draft picks or through monetary reasons to go after an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson. This is just not the time for that team because they're still secondary pieces away, linebacker pieces away, um, receiver pieces away, and offensive linemen away. From having a team that is better than 9-8, and 10-7. I mean, we're, we're trying to go like 13 and four here. We're trying to go 14 and three and, and have a team that has a significant chance to win the championship. You know, to compete for the division, okay, that's cool. To be a, a, a consistent playoff team, yeah, that's cool too. 
But if the ultimate goal isn't to win the championship, then, then, then what are we what are we looking at? And at this particular point, the way that this team is structured, quarterback is so far down the list. As I mean, my as me being a fan. Right. Now, you know, Taylor Heineke's not ideal. Um, you know, if you can run the ball, keep him under control, not get the game too far out of hand where he has to continually drop back and they and teams have and teams are able to keep him in the pocket, then you know, yeah, you're gonna have your, your limitations are gonna show up or whatever. But you know, I just feel like go with what you got for one more season. There's no huge rush. There's no franchise changing quarterback in this draft, even though people are in love with Malik Willis. Malik Willis is still going to need three years to be good. That doesn't help Ron Rivera or anybody on Washington this year. doesn't even help them next year. So why don't you go ahead, continue to build your team up, continue to see, uh, you know, one more quarterback class of draft picks, one more free agent quarterback, one more, you know, who's going to be disgruntled. You never know who's going to want out of a deal or whatever. But at the same point, Washington can save the draft picks that they would have used to acquire Russell Wilson or, or Aaron Rodgers and continue to build their roster and continue to get closer to being a championship-level team that only needs a quarterback, sort of like where Tampa Bay was. Like, hey, they can get a quarterback that won't throw the ball to the other team 30 times. This team could be very good. Oh, they went and got Tom Brady. Look what happened. Back-to-back, you know, a championship and then, you know, one game away from an NFC championship the next year. So that's – I think Washington thinks they're at that level, but they are so far from it. And, right. And, 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 and I just – Sight fool's gold. Right. And I just thought that Ron Rivera did not do himself uh, any favors by making such a declaration to the fan base. Uh, and then, you know, you are not produce – either one of these guys because that's what you promised. And, you know, so it's already going to be a lot of pressure and a lot of side eyes looking at Ron going, how come you couldn't get it done? You're the man in charge of football operations. What's going on? And what it comes down to is that, hey, Washington just doesn't, A, they don't have any – the players that we have that are good are like marginal good NFL players. You know what I'm saying? We don't have any standout good players. We don't have any, you know, Terry McLaurin is a is a nice player, but on most teams he's a number two receiver. You know what I'm saying? Right. Jonathan Allen is a good interior lineman, but you know, it's just the first time he got close to double digit sacks in his career. You know what I'm saying? So I mean he's good for our team, but when you start looking at the grand scope of how other teams view you, this is what you're starting to see with these teams denying these trade offers back to back in Washington, you know, ponying up so much and still other teams are like, nah, they just don't, they just don't have a high grade on our talent that we think is so good. And sometimes that's sobering to understand and to realize, but that's where Washington is. Um, Calvin Ridley, he may be, he's going to need a new team after uh, next year. Because he just got suspended for a whole year due to gambling on NFL games. 
Um, Calvin Ridley had a kind of checkered year this year. He got hurt in preseason, started out on the injured list, played a few games. Then it was said that he was going to shut it down for uh, mental health reasons. And then uh, last week it was revealed that uh, he will now be suspended for a year due to gambling on NFL games. It was said that he did not bet on any Falcons games. Um, so at least he didn't. And it was only $1,500. Only? So that's one game? Literally. <laughs> $1,500. So. What costs you? And, and, and $1,500 costs you a whole season. And they could, and and they said at least the twenty twenty two season. They didn't say just the twenty twenty two season. They said at least the twenty twenty two season. So they could. I hope they don't, but they could make an example and make it longer. Yeah, um, I don't think that there's been a situation like this since back in the sixties. I think Alex Karras play mm-hmm. with the Lions and I think it was uh, my man um, the dude Jerry Kramer too from the Packers got caught up in gambling but I don't even think it was gambling on football games I think it was gambling on uh, just sports in general right. and, and they and they got suspended and had to be reinstated but yeah th- with the you know NFL being so closely tied to these sports books and just betting in general um, a player mm-hmm. um you know, with that type of insider knowledge and things like that on his own team and other teams because, you know, he's sitting in those meetings and, and they get reports on who's playing and who's not or, or who's mm-hmm. injured or who's compromised. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, that definitely is a is a, is a red herring for sure. Uh, for yeah. Hell, you're right. Roger uh, Hill just might be like, okay, but <laughs> somebody got to be the fall guy. Right. And then not only that, because you're not going to play the 2022 season. Who says he's, he's going to be betting every week now? <laughs> right, right. You go, and then not only that, when you return, you still owe the Falcons a season. So your free agency gets pushed back a year. Yeah, yeah. So you you literally just screwed up your money. Yeah, over fifteen hundred dollars. The the one thing that he could possibly hope for is just that the Falcons just want to kind of break clean, give him a new start. They take a new start, and they trade him somewhere for mm-hmm. you know third round pick, fourth round pick. So, as someone said it best, because a few years ago they said Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, who's going to be able to stop this team? And someone answered Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. <laughs> and sure enough, Julio Jones gets traded and Calvary gets suspended. And now, this sucks for the Falcons, but I'm overjoyed at the same time. Um, because teams are going to zero in on Kyle Pitts. They don't have anybody besides Kyle Pitts at this point. So, well, this would be a uh, this would actually be a good year to be looking for receivers because at the NFL Combine we saw eight receivers run under four four in the forty yard dash. So mm-hmm. you know, and they've got a pretty significant um, you know uh, pick in the first round. I think they're like sixth or eighth. 
Yeah. And they're eighth. In between five and ten. So, I mean, that's not too out of the realm to grab a receiver. Not too high yeah. to get a receiver there. So, I mean, this is – I mean, if you're in the market for a quarterback, not your year. But if you're in the market for everything else, they all out there this year in the draft, yeah. in the draft man. There, there's no shortage of linebackers and linemen and edge rushers and receivers in this draft, but just not that, yeah. you know, franchise-changing quarterback. Right. And, and then, you know, good thing for the – Speaking of the draft, I mean, that trade, that Seattle trade that they got, they they moved into the ninth pick. Because remember, they gave up they gave up their draft pick in the Jamal Adams trade to the Jets. So uh, the Jets have the fourth and tenth pick, uh, the tenth pick from Seattle. Seattle moves into the top ten at number nine now, and so. So it's gonna be uh so at least uh Seattle's gonna move into the uh into that uh, into that uh, top ten and then we'll see what they do with it. Um Yeah, I guess we I guess we kinda have to talk about Seattle here, just um Bobby Wagner got released. Uh this is probably gonna be uh, maybe Pete Carroll's last year. There's been some rumblings that they may be uh, trying to load up to just offer the mother load to Houston to get Deshaun Watson. So, kind of, where do you see Seattle right now? Just definitely a, a crossroads in that organization. Um, oh, yeah. You know, um, who was the kid that they got um, and paid all the money to, and then uh, Russell Wilson beat him out. So, this has been kind of that um, – you know, they haven't really had this type of uncertainty at quarterback since that offseason. Um, mm-hmm. So, just kind of, where do you see Seattle going from here? Well, I think this is basically the strip down here, and we'll see if they make a play for um, Deshaun Watson. But, you know, there's there comes a time in each franchise where windows close, and, you know, now that. So Wilson's been traded. I mean, you still got some playmakers there. Um, we well, will see. Uh, I guess Drew Locke is the incumbent right now, right? Until until uh, unless they do make a a play for Deshaun Watson, but we still don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Not only with the with the lawsuits, but also the personal conduct policy. Uh, you know that's going to come up, so he's probably going to have some kind of suspension there. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, this could be putting smoke in the mirrors about trying to establish a relationship and maybe trying to get that man back to Houston. That's why he would want to do that, but I don't see it happening. Um, there's a lot of lot of fluid parts in this situation, but Seattle's uh, window that's definitely closed. Um, you know with the Rams, with the Rams uh, winning the championship. You have the 49ers who, like you said, Jimmy G's likely gonna make a return. It looks like they may not be ready for 
uh, Trey Lance to take the reins this year. Then you got Kyler Murray, who's got his issues going on with Arizona. Um, so you have those three teams. And then Seattle, they're probably going to just be ready to rebuild. I think this is the last of the picks that they give up to the Jets for the Jamal Adams trade. So, um, so yeah, they can either make that big deal, big package for Watson or start rebuilding and find talent in the draft. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne. Uh, we're going to transition over to the NBA, where there seems to be a new threat emerging in the Eastern Conference, the surging Boston Celtics. I know yeah. this is near and dear to Dwayne's heart. Uh, they made the trade at the trade deadline to pick up Derek White, point guard from uh, the San Antonio Spurs. Yes. And uh, I think they've won something like 11 out of 13 or 12 out of 14 mm-hmm. or something crazy. Yeah. Uh, since uh, Derek White has joined the team, um, yes. I was watching the game against the Nets on Sunday. And uh, the first thing I noticed is that um, having oh. Derek White puts everybody kind of in their rights positions on their team yes. everybody else through their lineup. So it doesn't yeah. make Tatum have to kind of be default point guard, kind of takes the pressure off of a smart to try to exactly. be a playmaker, um, lets him just concentrate on defense and making his open shots. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely puts Jalen Brown in a spot where he can just score and that's right. all he has to worry about on offense. Doesn't have to be an extra facilitator to help progress the offense along mm-hmm. so I just think that a very savvy move by Boston uh, they Brad kind of, Stevens they went through um, you know the Kyrie experiment didn't work with injuries and attitude uh, they went through the Kemba Walker experiment didn't work due to injuries and just old but now they seem to have gotten their point guard situation solidified and it has set all the dominoes in place um do you think that they can really now challenge the 76ers and the Nets and the Bucks? People are forgetting about the Bucks uh, and mm-hmm. come out of this Eastern Conference this season. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget the Heat and the Bulls, too. Because um, Miami's still the number one team in the East. That's the team that everybody's chasing. But uh, definitely they're in the mix. I mean, and you also got to remember uh, Derek White. Uh, is familiar with Ime Udoka, who's the head coach of the Celtics, because Udoka was uh, an assistant with the Spurs. So the system, you know, Udoka being a pop disciple, has the same philosophies, and Derek White knows what to expect from him. And so with that being said, uh, everything that you said was spot on. Uh, it takes a it takes a load off Jason Tatum. We saw him drop fifty four in that game. It takes a load off Jalen Brown, uh, where he can be a more free scorer. And and the crazy thing about it is everybody can talk about they need to get rid of either Tatum or Brown this whole first half of the season before the trade deadline. I give. Brad Stevens credit for standing pat, sticking with his guys. And, you know, this was a this was definitely a transition, a filling out period for 
uh, Udoka. I mean, this is his first head coaching job. So uh, they have been playing some great defense, and uh, that has really been one of the hallmarks, too. And you got to give credit to Robert Williams in the middle. Staying healthy, staying alert on defense. You know, he provides that nice little spark where, you know, where you need a block or you need a defensive stop or if you need that one occasional alley-oop that Thunder has done to get the crowd going, that is what Robert Williams brings to this team. And so that will be interesting when the playoffs come around to see, you know, you're going to have experienced coaches like Spo and Pop and Bud and, and um, Billy Donovan has had some playoff runs as well. Um, do I think they can beat Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, or the Nets in a seven-game series? No. I'm not going to give them that just yet. But if they can keep White long-term, they can definitely build on what they have started, and this can be a dangerous team going forward. Next up, man, what's wrong with the Golden State Warriors? Um, they're like 2-10, and ten and they're, or maybe uh, I think they won last night, so something like 3-7 three and, seven three in, the and last seven in their last 10. Um do you think it's just a kind of, you know, hitting the wall or the injury, the Draymond injury finally catching up with them or injuries, injuries hitting the wall, teams starting to figure out, figuring them out a little bit. Um, you know, they, they got the win over the Clippers. I mean, they went on that road trip and I think that's when the wheels started to, um, get wobbly here, so um, do I think they'll get it together when Draymond comes back? Yes, I do. Um, Do I think that they have they have work to do because, you know, you got uh, Ja Moran and the Grizzlies right there at the number two and then Phoenix coasting at number one. I definitely don't think they'll catch Phoenix, but I think they get it together. You know, Draymond is supposed to be coming back on the 14th. And, and um, you know, his his intensity, his energy, his leadership uh, will be what this team needs. And they will have to get that going here to make that one last push for the number two seed, and then they'll play that playing game winner. Speaking of Memphis, uh, we can't talk about this NBA season without talking about the rising star of Ja Morant. I think that he's definitely entrenched himself into the top ten players in the league list right now. And um, I think he is rapidly ascending towards top five and eventually top three. Um, Just talk about, especially this year, we saw some flashes of it last year where he stayed mostly healthy for the whole season and beat the Warriors 
in the play-in game, got into the first round of the playoffs officially. Uh, this year, he made the statement that they were not going to be anywhere near the play-in game. He has lived up to that. They are leading the Midwest Division currently right now. So just talk about his development, his maturation, and just Memphis in general. Um, should you know? Should we fear Memphis when it comes to playoff time? Uh, yeah, I think I think this is a team to watch out for. Um, you know, like you said, they lead the Southwest Division by four on the Mavericks. I said the Midwest. I'm thinking old school. <laughs> NBA, sorry. Old school. No, you're good. Um, they lead that Southwest Division. They they are. It's and I think not only do you consider him in the MVP conversation, but he's definitely. MIP. I uh, definitely give him most improved, and then you give him conversation for the MVP as well. Um, that uh, you got to give the Grizzlies front office a lot of credit uh, with uh, the moves that they made in the off season, uh, acquiring Stephen Adams. You got you acquire Stephen Adams in the off season. You get rid of Jonas uh, Valanciunas, uh, sending him to New Orleans. You, uh, the three point shooting he has around on Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. can shoot it. Um, there's a lot to like about this uh, Grizzlies, uh, Grizzlies team. They play hard nose. I mean, with I mean Stephen Adams, you're gonna get hard nose rebounding. You're gonna get. Defense, you're gonna get a brick wall right there. So it's really hard to have uh, when you have a force like that on the defensive side of things, and then you have the you have the rising star of Jamarant. The uh, Grizzlies are that dangerous. They could definitely make a lot of noise. I do now if they run up against the Warriors. In the uh, second round, that will be a very fun matchup to watch. I think the experience will probably outweigh um, the experience would outweigh the youth in that series if it came down to it. Um, and I think that's going to be their that's going to be their weakness in a seven game series. Uh, if it was like a one game thing, then yeah, they would be a Definite dangerous team, but in a seven game series where you got to win four or seven, got to win at least two on the road, possibly. Um, and can't see them being at that point just yet. But they have a great coach, they have a great core, and if they continue to build off that core, they're going to be just fine. Last but not least, the $25 million question in the NBA. Can the Lakers find some way to piece it together and make a run throughout the play-in tournament and into the playoffs? Or, you know, like we said on this show, in the summertime when they made all these signings, that, you know what, man, this year just ain't going to work. Uh, and many teams can do it, it's the Lakers, but... It's up to them. <laughs> I mean, look at where they are right now. They're ninth in the West. They 
would have uh, to play uh, against the Pelicans. At least that game would be at home. And then they would have to end up going to New Orleans a couple days later. And so, with that being said, uh, do I think they get it together? At this point, I don't think they do. I think they will get to the playing tournament, they win one game, then they lose the elimination game. Okay. Or the AC. Um, I just don't get why people in the summertime were so blind to the fact of what I could see as soon as I heard who the Lakers were getting rid of and who they were going to try to replace them with. My thought was, you don't have anybody on that team that doesn't need the ball to be effective. Mm-hmm. LeBron's going to need the ball to do what he needs to do. Anthony Davis is definitely going to need the ball because he's a dependent player. So, you know what I'm saying? He can't just grab the ball and run it up the court every time and do what he wants with it. He depends on the other players giving him the ball. So he definitely is going to need the ball to do what he needs to do. And then you got Russell Westbrook, who clearly didn't. They never talked to him at some point. Once they realize that, hey, this is going to go in sideways, to be like, hey, bud, um, let's put you as our number one scorer off the bench. You run the bench mob, and if you're having a real good game, you can close it. If you're kind of suspect that night, we'll play it by ear. They clearly didn't define that role for Russell Westbrook, and they don't have that, I think, again, Jason Kidd not being a part of that coaching staff has hurt them offensively because I know for a fact that Jason Kidd would instill those Princeton, Pete Carell, Eddie Jordan offensive principles with the Lakers. And that is probably the only thing that could really make this work is if they committed to some type of system, not just pick and roll basketball and take advantages of mismatches. No, they need a system where they move the man and the ball. And I think Jason Kidd not being on that bench hurts them offensively, which is, you know, where their biggest problems lie. I mean, they're not defending the way they were. Of course, they're a little bit older. They don't have the younger guards up front to to dictate the tempo like they did last year and the year before. But they're still pretty solid defensively. But offensively, they're just a mix-mash, mishmash. You know, it took everything LeBron had to score those 50, 60 of the day just to beat the Warriors, you know? And uh, so I just think the Lakers are in trouble, man, and they're going to end up having to blow this thing up uh, in some form or fashion before they are, you know, serious contenders again. And then, Dwayne, we'll talk about your favorite sport, the one that can never seem to have too much harmony just when everything seems to be too good to be true. It usually is. Baseball is facing another lockout. Um, This time it looks like uh, the taxes on going over the luxury tax, the penalties for going over the luxury tax, the competitive floor, um, the expansion of the playoffs, 
and also service time uh, seems to be the biggest sticking points between the players and the owners at this point. Doesn't seem like uh, they're getting closer to a deal. It seemed like last week things looked a little bit more favorable, but as of this week, things don't seem to be as uh, as optimistic. So, um, you know, another example of baseball just shooting itself in the foot and losing a foothold on the you know on the public's consciousness and their you know placeholder in sports right now. I mean, I, I just don't understand why this particular sport can't seem to have 10 or 15 years of, you know, peace when it comes to labor. It seems like every, you know, five to seven years we're kind of here with this threat of a lockout or threat of a strike. So um, your thoughts, seeing that the owner of your favorite team is one of the richest owners in the sport, um, what are your concerns or what do you see maybe coming to a head to help move baseball forward? Well, it's very disappointing when it comes down to it. Um, they already canceled games. They're probably talking about canceling more games uh, uh, next week or tomorrow. I don't know if it was yesterday or next Tuesday. Um, and this is disappointing and it's heartbreaking. I mean, baseball was just getting back um, to really being fun to watch again and now the owners have essentially ruined that for baseball fans everywhere you know and now now because they uh what's the word they've they uh have performance lockout no real progress has happened in the days since the lockout, uh, you hear like certain things here and there, but nothing significant to the point where we're like, okay, you know, let's uh, let's just uh, call it when it's uh, back. And I'm just really, I'm just really disappointed in the owners. Um, you know, for doing this, um, you know, to the players, you know, they gotta, they're supposed to be reporting, they're supposed to be getting ready, and when now when you go to approach, uh, you approach the, uh, the stadium, it's just like, oh, wait. There's nobody here. So it's, it's kind of like a funeral in a sense. And it's a sad funeral, but it's something where things will be okay. Yeah, eventually, you know, they'll get everything worked out. But, you know, is that going to take this year? Is it going to take half a season? Um, you know, they were trying to uh, get more playoff teams in and things like that. And the players are definitely, if we have a really short season, uh, probably won't give them that. Um, so it's, it's just going to be a lot of hurt feelings and disrespectful terms and tones mm -hmm. on both sides before we, you know, finally reconcile and come to a deal. And, 
it may be baseball that pays its biggest price, you know, um, for, for doing this to themselves. Um, you know, the other two major sports seem to have, you know, they threaten, but they never really do. They seem to be able to work it out before we get to this point of missing games and, and, and things of that nature. But it just seems like uh, baseball, for some reason, man, both sides just dig in. And once they dig in, man, it's going to be a fight tooth and nail for everything. And uh, that's where we are right now. So hopefully they can resolve this quickly. And uh, your reigning defending World Series champions, the Atlanta Braves, can can get going and uh and uh, Yuck. and uh you know gross, gross, gross. And and this also hurts uh free agency and things like that because you know the Yankees are out here trying to get Freddie Freeman from the Braves, even though I don't think yeah. Freddie Freeman would ever leave the Braves, but hey, you never know at this point. Um and you know, service time for guys and things like that who've been in the minor leagues uh, by the way, minor league baseball will be up and running, so they will not be affected by any of this labor strife uh, in the major league. Well, sounds game. Here I come. So if, find uh, Drew Jones in a town near you. Yes, and Drew Jones' son. Drew Jones is like the number one prospect in baseball. Uh, very, very good. So he's going to be moving up the ranks pretty quickly this summer. So uh, maybe he'll be in one of your local towns. You can You can check him out. There you go. All right, Dwayne, this point, sir, I'm going to turn it over to you for your final thoughts, shout-outs, and thank yous. Uh, let's see. Shout-out to all the listeners, the WrestleCast, as always. Um, AEW Revolution was a great show. A long show, but a great show nonetheless. Um, all the creators of the podcast making great content. Shout out to my family. I am coming back to North Carolina when my lease is up in December. So I'm already starting the process of relocating back to the Queen City. And I am ready more than ever to do so. Um, so, yeah. So now, my final thought. Um, we're going to go with the footy. Um, so, Major League Soccer started two weeks ago, and as they have done over the last several years, they have expanded yet again, uh, this time to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Charlotte FC had their first MLS game at Bank of America Stadium, and they set a attendance record, 74,000. 479 fans um, saw uh, the crown lose one to nothing to the LA Galaxy. Oh, that's what uh, they call the crown? Well, it's Charlotte FC, but the hashtag is like for the crown. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the one thing with uh, MLS, a lot of the teams have reverted to the traditional soccer names versus the Americanized soccer names. Right. Uh, certain teams like the Galaxy, New England Revolution, like the original 10 that came that started MLS, they still have their original names. Most of them do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, most of the newer teams that have come into play, they have adopted the international, the more international 
traditional soccer team name. So that's where uh, Charlotte FC came into play. And their logo, and their logo is like when you look at their logo, it's literally the crown with the four wards of Charlotte there. So uh, that's why I just said the crown, basically. And their hashtag is for the crown. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, typical expansion. Uh, growing pains, uh, you know, coming together, trying to figure out what is going to work, what's not going to work. But it is good to see um, David Tepper's other football project, as they called it, when they started this, come to fruition. And they were going to join last year along with Austin FC, but they decided to push it back a year. But it was definitely worth it. Uh, they reconfigured Bank of America Stadium for soccer matches. They're going to use the lower bowl for most of the games, and uh, that is going to put about 30000 in those seats. Um, Nashville's opening up their new stadium on May 1st, and the reigning and defending champion Philadelphia Union, uh, they are looking to uh, defend their crown and as champions but mls is back the footy is going to be taking over um most networks saturday and sunday nights and then of course spring football returns in birmingham with the usfl on april 16th thank you Dwayne, as always for joining me here in this edition of the score uh, my final thoughts i'm gonna have two uh first and foremost uh, the nascar season Four weeks in has been spectacular. Uh, Daytona 500, Austin-centric, surprise winner, rookie, first Daytona 500 start. You get the winner, barely edging out. Bubba Wallace to finish second, raced a fantastic race, was there at the end. Had a chance to possibly win it. Things just didn't work out. Then the second race at California was fantastic. Kyle Larson uh, ended up winning, had a little run-in with his teammate, Chase Elliott there. The race was so good that the talks of turning California from a two-mile super speedway into a short track similar to Martinsville has been kind of squelched, uh, at least for this year, maybe a couple more years. Then moving on to last week's race in Vegas, uh, another great race came down to uh, a last lap uh, shootout and pass where Alex Bowman got the win for Team Hendrick. Uh, so, yeah, so three weeks into it, coming up on the fourth week, uh, NASCAR definitely uh, has uh, uh, done well with this new car and uh, some really exciting uh, races. Yes, and how about the Xfinity race of the day before? It's, uh, it's a red flag for snow in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, and then my other final thought is just the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, they are coming to the end of the regular season uh this past week has been their toughest test uh they faced the washington capitals on the road got shut out four to nothing turned around came back to play the pittsburgh uh, penguins at home uh in the back-to-back uh, went down two nothing early in the first period clawed their way back to end up winning uh three to two in overtime um so the second win over the penguins this season their next closest uh, rival in the standings of their division, and then uh, the Rangers, the and Rangers then, and the Penguins. And then tomorrow night they get to face the best team in the West, the Colorado uh, Avalanche, Avalanche. coming to town. 
so yeah, so uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Best team in the league. Yep, they're going to get tested. Uh, you know, basically getting prepared here for the playoff stretch, uh, getting some good tests down the stretch here, the regular season, and seeing some teams in their own division and uh, you know teams in the other conferences as well. They played Edmonton uh, last Sunday, got a win over them. So they've um, you know been battle tested here coming up into the playoffs. And uh, they've been faring pretty well. They need to get their number one goalie, Frederick Anderson, back. Maybe because we had a big break in our schedule after Sunday, uh, after Saturday, after Sunday's game, that they've been kind of giving him maybe some rest to kind of get him fresh for the playoffs. Because his history is he's a great regular season goaltender, but seems to flame out in the playoffs. So maybe uh, management is kind of looking long term, trying to maybe give him some, you know, games of rest before they go into the playoffs. But looking forward to an exciting playoff season of Carolina Hurricanes hockey. Um, hopefully, hockey tailgates. Hopefully they play for a very long, long time, meeting like um, June. And uh, yeah. Stanley Cup here in North Carolina. They're going to have a f- – they're going to have a f- – they're going to have a tough test in the first round if the standings hold because – the two wild cards are Boston and Washington, and they will get the Bruins in the first round. Oh, we want the Bruins. That's what we want. Yeah. That's what we <laughs> want because the Bruins is in our last three seasons, and the Bruins aren't the same Bruins that they were two years ago. Right. Carolina is yeah. much better than they are now. Much better. Oh, yeah, def- oh, yeah, they definitely are, but they have had a history over the – of disappointment, so I want them to win. Trust me, I do want them to win. And um, but it's the one hockey is in basketball. Yeah, you're um, right. There's been more uh, one uh, eights over one in hockey than any sport when it comes to playoffs. Yeah, yes, and there have also been four reverse sweeps. I I have had the displeasure of experiencing. One of those as a fan when the Sharks were up three on the Kings and got reverse swept, and I actually had to take a break from hockey for a whole year, so I, I have not forgiven the Sharks for that. Well, um, I did when they made it. I did when they made the Stanley Cup two years later. I, I, <laughs> let me let me stop lying because I did forgive them. I, two years later, they did make the Stanley Cup after that. But um, but yeah the. Just to piggyback off that real quick, uh, since you did the hockey thing, um, Avalanche, they are controlling the Central. They're up 16 on the Blues. The Calgary Flames are a dangerous team. They are leading the Pacific Division ahead of the Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, the Central Division, St. Louis and Minnesota, have the two and three spots. The wild cards belong to Nashville and Dallas. Edmonton trails Dallas by uh, three points. Anaheim trails them by four. Vancouver by five. And then in the east, um, Carolina, they're up six on the Rangers and Penguins. Florida, the Panthers, that's going to be another dangerous team in the east. Uh, they're up, they're up uh, three points on the Lightning. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs are well behind, but I'm not going to give the Maple Leafs any kind of country until they can prove they can win a playoff series. Um, and then the wild card, Boston and Washington. Uh, Washington leads Columbus by 12, so there's no real threat to those wild card spots. 
this may be breaking news this may be breaking news i'm trying to get some confirmation so i'm pulling up the espn app breaking news sources the indianapolis Colts oh. are trading quarterback carson wentz to my washington commanders <laughs> didn't we just say that we just said that <laughs> We literally just said that. So Carson Wentz is going back to the NFC East. So, uh, a quarterback who has seen his shit. There's, some, there's something about Carson Wentz's personality as a person that is the reason why he's had so many teams. I, I don't know if he is a good teammate, per se. I think he's a good player, but there's Great. there's got to be a reason why the Colts would move on from him so fast. Especially when he, Frank Reich is the head coach. Right, and has his personal history with him. Um, so, you know, commanders, um, you know, it looks That'd like cool. uh, two third-round picks. So not a lot as far as compensation. That's that's not a bad deal. I mean, it's not. Really, I don't know if he's if, at the end of his deal though with the Eagles, or if they're gonna have to end up paying him too. But it looks like Carson Wentz is gonna be the quarterback for the Commanders. Let me take a look. I think there's a way I could look at the contracts from the Football Reference site. Uh. But yeah, that's uh, we we just said that. That's the craziest thing. We literally just said, we literally put Carson Wentz in that conversation. Right, right, and here he is, Washington. Well, Ron Rivera had to do something. Uh, it's definitely yeah. not the tier of quarterback that I think the fans were looking for. But I mean, I mean compared to Taylor what they have, yes, it is a significant upgrade. Um. Hopefully he can put it together and uh, we can keep him healthy and go for Yeah, that. that's going to be the thing. Also, you, you just mentioned that. Um, you just uh, yeah. Now that you mentioned it, that would be that would be um, big in terms of because, like you said, the offensive line does that help out with um, Brandon Scherf? Probably not. Wow. He doesn't really like. Uh, Anybody who, like, deals with us through a free agency thing tends to walk because we don't negotiate the right way with people. We could have wrapped him up two years ago, and it wouldn't cost nearly as much as the – you know, it's like, you know, smart teams, they get in front of stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They identify a player, say, hey, he's a key player, and they go ahead and get the job done. That's the reason why they need to go ahead now that they got Wentz and if he's you know going to be the quarterback at least for the foreseeable future. They need to go ahead and start talking to Terry McLaurin now, get mm-hmm. him signed up so they don't have to worry about next year and having to negotiate with him because he may feel the same way. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't – going through this BS negotiation with y'all, I want to go somewhere else now. Right. So – so yeah, so it looks like um, this is this is the uh, last year 
of the Wentz contract because there'll be $22 million cap hit, a potential out. So if he stays for 23 and 24, it's 20 million and 23. Uh, 24 would be 21. And then he would be an unrestricted free agent uh, in 25. Yeah, so, you know, there's going to be a come a point where we're going to have to renegotiate with them. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that goes and, and what that leads to going further. But, um, looks like the commanders have found their quarterback potential hey, quarterback. Look on the, the bright side. Franchise, but we'll see. Look, look on the bright side. It's not Sam Darnold. Well, you know. <laughs> exactly. I guess we'll take Jordan. It. Jordan Love, come to Carolina. I would love to have you over Sam Darnold. Come to Carolina. Come to Carolina, Jordan Love. Scott Federer, get on the phone. Do something. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, uh, it sucks that Carolina's stuck with them because they fell in love with them after three games and gave them that stupid option. But what, whatever. I'm done. I'll, I'll go on a tangent. And <laughs> I only got 3%, so I ain't got time. Yeah, so we're going to just wrap it up here. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> for listening to this episode of Know the Score. We're able to break some news here in this particular episode. Uh, just thank you to everybody affiliated here at CSPN.us, all of the co-hosts that helped me on the WrestleCast side, uh, Dwayne here on Know the Score, all the guys over at the Comic Book Chronicles who pitch in each and every week uh, with their episodes as well. Continue to support the show through CSPN.us. Click on the top of the page that says Keep Our Podcast Free. Do some shopping with our sponsors. Rate and review the episodes. And also check out the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media. There's always extra content from the CSPN over there that you can dive into. So for my co-host, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. <laughs>